Come on. Yep, okay. There we go. Hi. Uh, it's good to see you here tonight. Thankful for the opportunity to teach the Word and to, uh, to study. And uh, looking forward to God's blessings upon us. Praying that He'll open up our eyes and ears to see and hear. Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer, please. Blessed King, everlasting and righteous, Heavenly Father, we, we do praise your holy and divine name and thank you for being with us, for blessing us, for being so good to us and for your patience and for your mercy. Thank you for all that you've done, O oh God, and all that you do. Please guide us this evening in our studies. Please guide us into all truth. Help our minds to be freed from worldly thought that we might focus on you and we might bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you for Jesus, your great son. It's through him all things are possible and that we are saved. These things we pray and thank you for in Jesus' holy and precious name to be thy will. Amen. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8 tonight. And um, we're going to begin uh, with types and antitypes. Okay? Uh, so we're still talking about Studying and reading the Bible, we're talking about parts of language and speech in the Bible. And so tonight, we're going to pick up with types and antitypes. We're going to just kind of focus and zero in on types tonight, and then we'll move over to uh, the anti, if you will, antitypes. So types would be defined, if you're looking for a definition, um, as a person or object, uh, if you will, or an incident also. Pers- a person, an object, or an incident that that's prefiguring something that's greater or more excellent, right? Um, or more, if you will, excel to a greater, a greater, a greater idea or thought. And I, I think the easiest way for me, when I think about it, I think about the Old Testament will be full of types. So types will be the same as shadows. And the New Testament will be full of the anti-types, the fulfillment, the reality. So that's kind of an easy way to, to think about types and antitypes without necessarily calling them that. So the Old Testament will reveal something, the New Testament will fulfill it. However, you do have, you have Old Testament, um, ideas and thoughts that are not fulfilled in the, in the New Testament, but generically speaking. Okay. So sh- there's a shadow. Let's look at the shadow. Uh, Hebrews chapter eight. Begin at verse one. A shadow of things to come. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. Now, what has been said? Well, he's talking about the priesthood, right? Uh, chapter 5, he introduced to us an Old Testament uh, character. We'll look at him later, Melchizedek. And uh, coming now all the way through chapter 7 into chapter 8. And then he says the main point uh, is this. Is what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Hence, it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. Now, we, we have to think about this for a moment. So, why is it that Jesus, nor Melchizedek, either one of the two, 
can be a priest under the law of, of, of Moses. Wrong tribe, right? To be from the tribe of Aaron, but Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, and we have no clue of anything when it comes to Melchizedek. However, Melchizedek predates the, uh, the Melchizedekian priesthood, predates the Mosaical priesthood. It is much greater or higher than the Mosaical or the Aaronic priesthood. And so now Jesus follows the order of Melchizedek. And here's what's so great about that. Again, we'll come back to him. What's so great about that is the Old Testament and those priests under the law of Moses, they were serving, verse 5, a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for, see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So when, when, God, when God established everything regarding our salvation uh, with the priesthood and the forgiveness of sins and the sacrifice, he gave a pattern. He didn't just make anything up. It wasn't, they weren't just uh, free thinkers, right? He says, when you erect this tabernacle, you make sure you do it according to the pattern you were shown. So everything with God has a pattern, right? The creation, everything you can imagine, everything you think of with God has a pattern. And God wants things done in a special and unique way according to his will, according to his pattern. So when we think about life, you think about worship, you think about um, about relationships, they're all according to the pattern. And you can find that pattern, uh, I've said it before, this thread that, that weaves itself all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There's this pattern of things that you'll see that God gives us bits and pieces in the Old Testament, and then you'll find bits and pieces, if you will, uh, I guess dispensationally thinking, uh, you, you go back to the, the patriarchal dispensation, and there's a, there's a solid pattern that God gave. And then it's kind of, it follows through, it weaves itself through the law of Moses, and comes all the way into the New Testament, like circumcision, right? Predates, it predates the law of Moses. And then it goes all the way through, it weaves itself through the law of Moses. And it comes all the way into the New Testament, but when it gets into the New Testament, it has this higher and greater good and meaning uh, for man. The circumcision of the flesh in the old, the circumcision of the heart in the new. And so it just builds and builds and grows to be stronger and stronger. So now God says when, when this tabernacle is erected, make sure it's according to the pattern because there's something greater than the tabernacle that he's speaking of. You see how beautiful this is? You, you go from this, this human thing object to this heavenly thing, right? right? So that's what God does. God moves us in the Old Testament from the physical stuff to the spiritual stuff, right? And you've got to get the physical stuff to really get the spiritual stuff. You have, to, you have to learn and understand the physical stuff in order to really be able to dig deeper into the spiritual stuff. Or to become spiritual, spiritually enlightened. So he, he goes on with this, this idea, this thought. He continues with the priesthood, the old covenant, the greatness of it. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, it's the law of Moses, since it has only a shadow, back to the shadow. I love what it's a shadow of. It's a shadow of good things to come. Right? He went from, this was, this was holy, and, and this was, you, you look back at uh, Jerusalem today and you think about 
uh, the tabernacle, you think about the temple and how great it was, and then people say, this is a holy place, right? And, and you find Moses in the Old Testament standing on holy ground. And you think about how the, the priests would offer these sacrifice and, uh, sacrifices and, and they would follow it to a, to a T because of, of fear. They would die when the high priest goes in once a year to offer this sacrifice. All this physical stuff leads us to this amazingly higher good, right? And we get the good news of Jesus. And then it gets better. Could it get better? Think about that, right? You go from, you go from the very beginning, right? The patriarchal dispensation. And it only gets better. It goes from, it goes from all these accounts of people's lives that leads them to, to the, the law of Moses. And they, and they go through, they conquer the land of Canaan, and, they, and they're now settled in their land that God promised. So God gave the land promise, and He gave uh, the spiritual promise. And so they're settled in this land of, of good, a, a land of, of flowing with milk and honey. And, and it gets better because God fulfills the spiritual promise in Jesus. And, and, and it gets better because from, from there, what's, what's next, church? Heaven, right? You see how God moves us. He the pattern of God is so amazing and so so important that if you if you miss it in the old, you're really not going to get enough of it in the new. So here we go. We go back to verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. We'll come back to the word perfect in a moment. Otherwise... Will they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Okay, I got it. Because what happens is, in the old law, without the Christ, you're just rolling your sins forward every year, right? You're always reminded of it. Every year you've got to bring your offerings and your, and your sacrifices, and it just, all of the sins just roll forward. Every year you've got to remember, all just rolls forward. And it doesn't make you perfect, right? You're not perfect, and so can't wait to have these offerings again because the sins are rolled forward. But there's something greater. There's something greater than just rolling your sins forward to be reminded of it next year. And that, and that is in chapter 9. Chapter 9, he begins to speak in verse 6. Now these things have, this is talking about the, uh, the, the, the tabernacle and the order of things, the first covenant. Now when these things have been thus prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. According both to gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience so you go through the ritual it's a ritual right it's kind of like it's one of those things we just do it every year and and you do it every year and the high priest does it every year and you know they tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest when he goes in right in case he doesn't do it right right because he's dying there 
That way you can pull him out because you can't go in there. So if you go back, that's what they used to do. Wisdom, that's pretty strong, pretty wise. You're going to go in there, you're going to meet God. And when you go in to meet God, make sure you first, Mr. High Priest, offer an offering for yourself and for your sins. Make yourself, make yourself clean and then go in and offer a sacrifice for the people. But the problem is, the high priest wasn't really clean, right? Not by that offering. Not by that sacrifice. He's got to come back next year and do that same thing again, right? His conscience wasn't clean, right? His conscience wasn't clean. wasn't really clean. Then how do we ever become clean? See, If it's impossible... Now with this new knowledge for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, what in the world were they doing? (laughs) They were following the pattern. The pattern always leads to something better, something more gratifying, something more amazing. In fact, when you go back into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and you begin reading about the glory of the Old Testament, I mean, yes, it has glory, but it says the, the glory of Christ is so great that it, it makes it look like the glory of Moses doesn't even exist. Right? It's an amazing, amazing comparison. Now, let, let's look at verse 14. Verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, here's the difference. Under the old law, you're reminded of your sin every year. Just roll, just roll forward. Under Christ, what did he say? Your sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. They're gone. Isn't that great? You don't even have to think about it anymore. You, you don't have to, um, uh, to dwell or live in that place any longer. Right? It's gone. It's gone forever. And ever, and it's not even going to meet you on the judgment day. It's gone. I love the conversation on judgment day. Uh, you know, you, you stand before God and you say, okay, uh, Satan, you know, Zechariah 3 verse 1, you know, when Joshua, the high priest comes and he, and he stands before God and Satan came to accuse him. Zechariah 3, he says that, right? And, but before Zechariah could speak, you know, uh, the Godhead spoke in his behalf. I love that, right? You don't want to have to talk to God, right? Let Jesus do it for you. He says, no, this is, this is, he's mine. Take off his old garments, put new garments on him. We won't be able to remind God of all the bad stuff we've done. Right? Any of y'all have a list you want to write down? You can write it down, but then just throw it away. Once you repent, once you've made it right with God, it's over. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Not under the old law, though. No, under the old law, you gotta remember, it's rolled over until next year. Now you gotta bring your own lamb without spot and without blemish and you bring the absolute best that you have and, uh, the best that we have is never, it's really actually never good enough, is it? It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So Jesus takes this, this, through the Godhead, takes this whole teaching to an amazing new spiritual level. And that's where we want to be. That's the greater good in the type and the antitype. Okay, look over at uh, chapter 9, verse 22. 22. It's just a copy. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness 
Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for... Oh, you got to love that, right? Just put your name in there. (laughs) He's doing it for me. He didn't... He's taking it to heaven, right? And he squared it away in heaven. And that's where it needs to be squared away. Isn't that wonderful? This is that great and amazingly good news, powerful news from God. This is powerful. So the type shows us something that brings us to the greater good, whether it's an incident or an object or, or something, a person. It brings us to the greater good. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 50. Let's look at another, another type. So you remember reading um, about Joseph, and uh, he certainly is a, a type of Christ. Why would he be a type of Christ? Um, he, he would have been the person through God who saved the whole world, didn't he? If you think about it, right, it was a famine. The famine lasted for seven years. There wasn't uh, enough food uh, for the people in the, in the whole world. They all came to Egypt, and uh, the only place there was food was in Egypt by the hand, or through the hand of God, by the hand of God, through Joseph. Joseph became then the savior, if you will, right? of the world and so he becomes a type of Christ the one who was to come to actually truly save the whole world right Joseph when he did it he saved them alive physically when Jesus comes along he saves people alive spiritually right that they never die that they live forever and ever and ever so it's it's pretty it's exciting now i want to get something out of this as well genesis chapter 50 chapter 50 and let's look at verse 18, and let's, let's get something out of this text. Then his brothers, Joseph, also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. And, you know, remember the brothers hated him for that? Right? Now, look, remember how they treated him for that? And they didn't believe him, and Jesus' brothers didn't believe him, right? It's just, there's some connect. You could draw lots of connections in this, right? That's not what I want us to draw necessarily, though. But Joseph, verse 19, said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. When you go back and you look at Joseph's life, Age 17, young kid, right, young guy. His father sends him out. And uh, it doesn't go well for him. Next thing you know, he ends up in, uh, you know, in a pit by his brothers, his own flesh and blood. We start going through the history of our own lives. Then his brothers sell him. Right? Chaldeans come by and pick him up and sell him. Next thing you know, he's sold and he finds himself in prison for something he never did. Because he was being good and honorable. And when he was in the dungeon, maybe we ought to call it a dungeon. It's more like what it was in in Egypt. He's there for years, isn't he? He wasn't there for like a couple of weeks. 
He's there for years, right? For something, for a crime he never committed. And there's so many applications into this, this account. And finally, he, you know, he, he tells the, the buck, the, the, the drink, uh, the, the cup taster, if you will, cup bearer and the, uh, uh, the one who eats, who makes the food and he, he interprets their dream. And he says, remember me. When, when you get out, remember me, you know, help me out. And isn't that always something, how you help people and then you, you need something one day and then they turn their back on you, right? He said, just, rem- just remember me. And they, no, they didn't remember him. Still in jail. And then, and then finally, you know, Pharaoh has a dream and, and you know the, the rest of the story where he re- received uh, God's blessing and he interprets the dream. And, he, and his brothers come. And he's angry, all these emotions. But finally he came to this place in his mind, which is a place that we need to try to always get to, this place of peace, right? Where you've made peace with God and, and you've, made, you've made your peace and now you just have to just accept where you are and then you have to move on with God. And see, and Joseph came to that place, God helping him, uh, dressing as an Egyptian, living as an Egyptian, as an Egyptian wife. Brothers show up. And you know, that peace is sometimes disrupted, right, by people, <laughs> right? But you've got to stay in that peace. And it's at the end of Joseph's, Jacob's life, but Joseph's life, near the, near the end, when his brothers come to him, he says, I'm in the place of God. And then he points out to them, listen, I know what you did. But you know, he's in that place of peace. So he, he could have gotten revenge, couldn't he? I mean, he was in charge. Second man in charge, second only to Pharaoh. But what he did was he, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So you, you get this, this type and you realize that when you think about life, here's this man who is like us who goes through struggle and, and, and troubles and turmoil in life. And, and mankind means it for, for evil. Things happen in an evil way. But God is always what? He's always there. He's always there. And we have to remember that and find that, that place of peace. And here's this Joseph who becomes then this type of Jesus that through all of that, could you imagine... Joseph, I don't know how Joseph felt. And the Bible doesn't tell us. When God gave him all these dreams, you think he might have said, now we're, we're speculating, but you think he might have said, why did you give me these dreams? My whole family hates me now because of you. I mean, I don't know. You think he might have thought, I don't want these dreams. Give them to somebody else. I don't know. You think he realized that the dreams that he had and, and the family that he lost because of his dreams, you think he realized that that, or thought to himself, maybe are the dreams that I'm having worth losing my family? I don't know. I don't know what he thought. But he came to that place of peace. And he becomes this type of Jesus, uh, which is amazing. Did Jesus come to that place of peace? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Remember, he said, Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup, not my will, but thine be done. And then when he came back to his disciples, he said, let's go, right? He's ready, 
Right? He was ready. We have to come to that place of peace. Another lesson for another day. Let's turn to Matthew, please, chapter, uh, chapter 12. So a number can, can be a, a type, maybe the event, the event within or the number within the event. Uh, Matthew chapter, um, chapter 12, I want to look at verse 39. Let's think about uh, Jonah. What did Jesus use or say about Jonah uh, regarding a, him being a type? Or what was it about Jonah that became a type? And it, in reality, it's the, it's the incident or the event that happened. So uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39. Here's what Jesus says. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of of the earth. Right? Who would have ever thought? Do you ever read the book of Jonah and go, oh yeah, that's just like Jesus? No, right? I mean, that's what I love about the Old Testament. You're reading, and I still, I'm so fascinated because I know, I'm like, Lord, I know, I'm missing it. There's got to be, a, there's, a, there's something in there. You know, please give me more. I want to know. <laughs> right? You start reading through it and you, it, it's amazing that you don't think about, we don't think about, I don't think about Always, I don't, I'm not able to connect all the pieces and all the dots that God has given to us. But yet when you read that account of, of Jonah, the, the, the power of the account steps outside of Jonah and steps into the, the heart of the earth with Jesus. The resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The greatest event that's ever happened on the face of the earth. Wow. Jonah? Jesus? Yeah. Right, so Jesus says, here is an example. When you come to the tomb, when you get there, you're going to see something. That angel's going to tell you, why are you looking for the living among the dead? So Jonah was uh, semi, if you will, semi, what word you use? Uh, it was a simile of death, if you will. He's dead for three days. Spits back up on the earth. Gone. Disappears in the bottom of the sea for three days. And he Coming back to life, right? He's still alive, isn't he? Kind of makes you think about what Jesus said. Even though you li- die, you will live. Right? There's just a lot of things to think about with, with Jonah and life and death. But that's three days. Three days. So let's take it another step. Let's go to Genesis 22. Let's think about uh, God talking to Abraham in regards to three days, right? This uh, another type here. Genesis 22. We don't talk enough about, about Isaac, but... Um, I'm not going to tonight, um, but maybe you ought to think about Isaac and his faith, right? That's pretty, pretty impressive faith. Now, it came about, verse 1, after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, did Abraham have to do that? He didn't have to. Right? Genesis 22. Abraham didn't have to. We talked about tests a couple of weeks ago, right? A test reveals your character. He could have said, nah, I really don't want to do that, Lord. God would have chosen someone else. Offer your only son to me. Look at verse 4. 
On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Three days. Listen to verse 7. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, and what makes Abraham a man of faith is not only that he does what God says, but that journey, that three-day journey, his son was as good as dead on day one because he had every intention of doing exactly what God said. He didn't go to the mountain thinking about trying to find a way out. He went to the mountain to kill his son because God told him to, to sacrifice his son because God told him to. He didn't bring a lamb. His son was that lamb, right? Or that offering, if you will. His son was it. You see anything about the father and the son here? Right? I mean, Jesus was good as dead from, in the, from a physical standpoint, right? The man Jesus. From what does the Bible say? From the days of eternity. Right? I mean, he was slain from eternity. It was already in the, it was in God's mind, the, the Godhead's mind from the very beginning that if we make them, we got to die for them. <laughs> They're going to mess up. Right? It's already God, in God's plan of, of, of redemption, if you will, of, of saving humanity. So here's this long three-day journey. And I'm jumping all the way down to verse 13. Then Abram raised, or Abraham, excuse me, raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. So... All right. So look at the New Testament antitype or the information that's revealed to us about faith. So we, got, we have Jesus, right? Jesus is the Lamb. The Lamb provided Hebrews chapter 11. And then I want to make a point. Hebrews chapter 11, looking at heroes, the heroes of faith. I want to jump down to verse 17. And I want to get into the mind of Abraham. As, he's, as, he, as God speaks to him and says, Give me, offer to me your son, your only son as a, a sacrifice, and, and Abraham has the knife, and he has the wood, and he has the rope, and he takes his son to the top of the mountain, and, and can you imagine a father laying that boy down on that altar? Well, first you build the altar, and then you lay your boy down on the altar, and your boy can't figure out, Daddy, what are you doing? Tie him up. You say, son, this is, this is what God commanded me to do. Isaac didn't run away, right? And the Bible makes it clear that Isaac truly was as good as dead because when Abraham took his arm, moved his arm back, whether he was coming down or going up, Isaac was about to die. What was going through his mind? What was going, what was the only thing he could think of, you know? Think about later when he had to explain this to Sarah. You know, they get home and Isaac says, Dad was about to kill me. Right? No, no. Right? What was going through his mind? Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who received him at the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, And Isaac, your descendant shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, 
from which he also received him back as a type. Oh, what was going through his mind? I'm going to kill him. And God's going to raise him up. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I'm going to kill him, putting the knife right into, his, right into his heart. And then he's going to die. And God's going to give him right back to me. That's how much faith he had in God. That's amazing faith, right? Now, here's the question. Um, had there been a resurrection from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 21, has there been one yet? That's why this man had tremendous faith, right? What was going through his mind? My son's dead. We're going to the mountain. You're going to die. God's going to raise you up. What, it, what was in the mind of, of God? Jesus slain from the foundation of the world. When Jesus came to the earth, he was dead, although he was alive, right? As good as dead. Because he came to do the will of the Father. He came to do the will of the Godhead. It's just, there's this, this amazing uh, uh, picture for us to imagine and think about that, that when Jesus was, was on the cross, like, like Isaac, he didn't run. He came to do this work. He came to do this work. And why did he do it? For God so loved the world. You see in action. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For Jesus so loved the world that he gave himself. Why did he do that? That's how much he loved us. When you think about your um, uh, position in life, and you think about your, your, if you want to call it status, or whatever you're, you're thinking of, to God, you are it. <laughs> you are it. He loved us that much. He loved you. And you can put your name in there and help to build your own self-esteem to recognize that when Jesus died on the cross... He had your name written, right? Your name, right? Your name was written on his heart. Your name. My name was written there. Yes, it was my sins. But so also, the man who nailed him on the cross, his name was written. The man who was going to pierce his, sword, his, his uh, side later, his name was written. Pilate's name was written. Everyone's name was written. So now it's up to you. And thank God that you had the heart to accept God's grace, God's mercy, God's great plan, God's scheme of redemption. You didn't have to do it. You chose to do it. Right? You chose to love God back. You've chosen to, you chose to be here tonight. You, you've chosen to, to live right. You've chosen to, to shy away from sin. You made that choice. Jesus made his choice. To God, you're it. He loves us. That's why the world still goes on, because we are the flavor. We are the what? Salt of the earth, right? That's what we are. God made us that way. So we give all the, all the glory to God. Let's go to um, Romans chapter 5. We give all the honor to glory. We think about going all the way back to Abraham, who's called a, you know, a, a friend of God. And you go back and you look and you, and you think about uh, the message that God has given to us that that a human can have so much faith and confidence in God and trust in God and his conviction in God. You can do it. Right? You just have to keep going. Just don't give up. Right? Another type. Thinking about this. Chapter 5 is uh, all about the word that we use um, 
the word justification, I justify myself. Well, that's not good enough. But when God justifies us, that's perfect, right? So here's all about justification, and, and we're reading it. But we look at this man, the first man who was made, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. When we get into antitypes, we'll talk more about Adam and Jesus, right? First man physically, first man spiritually. And we'll make the connection uh, between the two of them. But here's this, this figure of Christ who was to come, found in the very first man who lived on the face of the earth. So we, you have to make those connections to, to see the depth of God's word and God's law. And so when someone says, well, why is the Bible that all these people on the earth, and, and the Bible only focuses on, on, on Israel, which that's not true, right? There, there are so many other nations that God uh, mentions. But he does focus, we could say, primarily on, on the Jews or Israel. Why? Because that's what produced the Christ, right? It's that genealogy, that genealogical trail, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke 3, that brings us to Jesus. So that we can look back and authenticate Jesus from the beginning, Adam, all the way until the day that that man, Jesus, the man, the Son of God, God, came to the earth, lived, and died, and rose. So every connection is important. And again, that thread just runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to, to help strengthen our faith and uh, to encourage us and, and just, just give us what we need to stay faithful and true to God, right? That's so important. Okay, let's go back to Melchizedek. We have time. Psalm 110. We have time. Really, we won't spend, we'll spend the rest of the night real quick on, on Melchizedek. Psalm 110. Just a quick verse here. In verse, uh, verse 4. Now, it would, it would take some time to really dig into Melchizedek, but let's get just the, the you know, just a piece of him uh, to gain a, a greater level of faith tonight, hopefully. Uh, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So, what is so special about, turn to Hebrews 6. What is so special, unique about Melchizedek. Well, I mean, there's a lot, you know, so many things you could bring up that are so unique and special about Melchizedek. But one thing that Melchizedek was uh, that's uniquely different is he was not just a priest or high priest. He was also a king, right? King of Salem, which is later known as the king of Jerusalem or Jerusalem itself. So Melchizedek is the king of Jerusalem and the high priest of Jerusalem. We are the new Jerusalem, right? Jesus is the king of Christianity, the king of the world, and the, 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 uh, the king, if you will, and the high priest of all of, uh, of God's people, the high priest for all mankind forever. So, Hebrews 6 and verse 16. Hebrews 6 and verse 16. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness 
the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. In order that by two unchangeable things, that's important, isn't it? Two unchangeable, the oath of God comes with two unchangeable things which it is impossible for God to, loss, I mean, to, to lie. So now there's something I know I can hold on to, right? It's unchangeable and God can't lie. It's impossible. We may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge and laying hold of the hope set before us. So we have fled from, um, from evil, from Satan. All of us have, right? We may not all want to admit that, but it's true. We all fled from Satan. We were all in Satan's world, in Satan's domain before we came to Christ, right? Everyone agrees with that. I mean, right here, yeah, every single one of us, right? And then it says, uh, we fled for refuge and laying hold of the hope that is said before us. So now in fleeing from there, we, we, we were held captive or we were led as captives, a host of captives, right, Ephesians. Christ took us captive and freed us from the evil one, right? He's got us. Thank you, God. He's got us. I got you. You're all right. You can set your hope on this. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, uh, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which, which enters into or within the veil, right? Now, that, that veil, you know, once a year, high priest goes in once a year. No, Christ brought you into it, right? You stay in that veil. Thank you, God, and the holy of holies. You, you are beyond the veil. No man's ever been beyond the veil, but in Christ, we're beyond the veil. We're in. We're, with, we're in Christ. God is in us. Verse 20, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek, the Melchizedekian priesthood, gives us a hope that the Aaronic priesthood could never give. Right? It predates the priesthood of Aaron. Aaron's priesthood, those priests live and die. The Melchizedekian priesthood, when did Melchizedek, when was he born and when did he die? Now I'm not saying he didn't die. I'm not saying he wasn't born, but I'm asking you when. And the Bible makes it very clear, without genealogy, the guy just shows up as king and high priest. He just shows up like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. And everyone knows who he is, and he's victorious. He's victorious, right? I mean, he is a victorious king who, who never loses a battle, if you will. I mean, you, you, it's the picture that God is painting about Melchizedek. And Jesus is in under the order of Melchizedek. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, and he was, as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed... From what? Yeah, he's he, victorious. Yeah, he just slaughters people, right? He, he's a, okay. This is Melchizedek. Now he's like, oh, you think that's something? Wait till you meet Jesus, right? Abraham gave him money, a tenth, because of how great he was. Where did that come from? I don't know. Verse three: To whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of the spoils. With uh, excuse me, was first of all by the translation of his name king of righteousness and then also king of salem which his king of peace see christ written all over that right verse three without father without mother without genealogy 
having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides there preached perpetually. And that's a whole lesson, or four lessons, or five lessons within themselves. But that's why you have hope. Because Jesus is greater than even that man. Greater than the law, the New Testament. He is the greatest of the greatest for all time. Forever and ever and ever. And that's our God. How much hope do you have? So tonight I'll leave you with hope. The hope of Jesus. And I hope that something was said to encourage you. In a moment we'll have a a, um, devotion which uh, you're invited. If you would like prayers made on your behalf, you can make that known to the elders. They'll pray with you, pray for you. Um, If there's something we can do to help you in any way, uh, please take that time to make it known uh, to us. So we're dismissed for, right at the bell, we're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for your time.